As the, as the guards in the prison approached Nathan Sharansky's cell, he said something really strange to them. He said, don't disturb me, I'm playing chess. And this was strange for a number of reasons. Um, first of all, uh, Mr. Sharansky was in solitary confinement, and there was no one else in the room to play chess with. And then, on another level, it was especially strange because there was nothing in Mr. Sharinsky's cell that would seem like he could play chess with. There was no bed to, to set a chess table on. There was no table. There was no chairs. It was an austere cell. There was no chessboard. There were no chess pieces. The Russian government had arrested Mr. Sharansky uh, on false charges that he was a spy for the American government. And they had treated him really badly. They put him in these cells. And, and on this particular day, he was in something called a punishment cell, where they would give him very little food. They gave him these thin clothes that there was really no way for him to, to stay warm or to even get warm, uh, especially during these harsh winters in Siberia. And this is where he was at. And so when Mr. Sharansky said that he was playing chess, the guard simply thought, well, he's going crazy. I mean, and, and it makes sense. He's spending all this time in solitary confinement, no light in the room. He's probably going crazy. But when he made that statement, don't bother me, I'm playing chess, Mr. Sharansky was actually telling the truth. You see, as a teen in the country of Ukraine where he grew up, he was a prodigy at chess. In fact, when he was 14 years old, he won the chess tournament there in his town. And he had this unique ability, it's kind of strange, but anyway, he had this unique ability to be able to play multiple chess games at the same time without looking at the chessboard. Unbelievable. I can't even imagine that, but, but he was able to do that. He didn't even have to look at the chessboard, and he could be playing all of these games with multiple players simultaneously while not looking at the different chessboards. And he thought that this was just a useless skill that he could impress his friends with at the time when he was growing up. But when he was thrown into this prison in Siberia, and he was locked into this cell with nothing in the cell, cold, he realized that this particular gift was something really important. He explains that during his time in prison, during these nine years in which he was in this Siberian gulag, this prison, this horrible, horrible situation, it, it was basically torture all the time. He's freezing, inadequate food, just isolated from people. During this time, he played thousands of games in his head, where he was, he was both players. He was, on, he was playing the black pieces, and he was also playing the white pieces. And, and he jokes, he said, I played thousands of games, and I won every one. <laughs> um, <laughs> but this is how he was able to keep from going crazy. Now, the KGB hoped that they could make him weaker and weaker. They hoped that they could wear him down by putting him in, in this prison and, and, and giving him this, putting him in this horrible situation. But Mr. Sharansky says that during this time in which he was in prison, he had a different perspective. He didn't see it through the eyes of a prisoner. He didn't 
he didn't preoccupy himself with looking around in this austere cell with nothing there. He didn't spend his time complaining that there wasn't a bed, complaining that there wasn't enough food, complaining that he didn't have enough clothing. He spent his time as a chess master playing the game that he loved. And so instead of growing weaker and weaker, he actually grew stronger and stronger. It's interesting that after he got out of the prison, several years later, Sharansky, Mr. Sharansky, went on to play the then champion, chess champion of the world. And with all the experience that he had developed there in that prison, playing this game that he loved, he beat the world champion in chess. Pretty amazing. Sharansky's experience, this demonstrates something really important about the power of our mind. The things that we think about, the things that we choose to dwell upon, the thoughts that we hold on to and that we, that we spend time with, these things have the capacity to help us actually experience these thoughts, even though we might be in a completely different circumstance, even terrible circumstances, just like it was for Mr. Sharinsky. He was experiencing chess tournaments all the time, even though he was in an austere Siberian prison cell. Let me illustrate this for you in another way. Picture yourself here, right now. Picture yourself there. Try to hear the, the waves gently lapping on the shore. Feel the warmth of the sun on your body. Smell the, the scent of the ocean. Feel the, the gentle breeze on your body. If you're really doing this right now, chances are your body is actually relaxing a little bit. Chances are, even though you're sitting here in church or you're watching online or wherever you're at, maybe you're watching this on this beach, I don't know. But if if you, if you are here today right now, you can actually experience the relaxation, experience some of the, the bliss, the enjoyment of being at the beach just by thinking about it. The mind is really powerful in that way. Well, life on earth, as you don't need to tell me, can be distressing. It can be hard to live on this planet. We have worries, we have uh, hectic schedules, we have problems that maybe we don't have the solution to. There, there's tension and there's difficulty, there's brokenness that we deal with, there's fears, there's uncertainty about the future. There's all kinds of distresses that we have in, in life. But thankfully, the Bible shows us a way that we can enter into the experience of heaven. We can actually visualize it, we can go there and in our minds actually experience what it is like to be in heaven on earth. As we begin 2023, you've heard it already in the comments made prior to coming up, and I just want to thank everyone that's participated in the service so far. It's been wonderful. Um, but you've heard that we're, we're placing an emphasis on prayer. We want to start 2023 praying and, and with a focus on prayer. And, and so we're going to be talking throughout this month uh, about a sermon series uh, on, called Teach Us to Pray. That's what we're calling it. We feel like this is really important because the Bible has a lot to say about prayer. The Bible tells us about people who prayed and experienced the power of God. Like where the sun stood still, people came back to life. Like really big things, they saw the power of God when they prayed. 
And it is possible to experience divine power when we pray. Would you agree with that? But but the problem is, is that it is also possible for us to pray and not experience power. Certainly possible. Perhaps you've experienced that. I know I have. I prayed and it's just like, what what was that? (laughs) Um, It seemed like nothing came of it. And so today what I'd like to do is I'd like to, to take a look at a teaching of Jesus that shows us how prayer, how to pray, and shows us how prayer can elevate us to a higher experience, to elevate us to a place where there is joy and rest, a, a heavenly place. Well, the title of the message this morning is Heaven and On Earth, and before we get into it, I'd like to just pause and ask Uh, or give God permission to to speak here to us through his word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we study this topic of prayer, and as I talk to you now in prayer, as we all talk to you as a congregation, I just want to recognize that I don't know how to do this very well. And and so I want to ask that you would give us an openness to hear what you have to say to us. Lord, we ask that you would teach us to pray. Teach us how to experience everything that you have in mind with this activity of prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Please turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 11. We're going to be starting with verse 1. If you want to use the Pew Bible, it's page 1041. Feel free to use your electronic device or whatever, however way you'd like to access the Bible. Um, But go ahead and go to Luke 11, verse 1. One, I'd like to begin with an observation, and that that is this, as you're going there. It's hard for us to know what we're missing out on until we see something better, right? It's hard to know that there's something that, that is really great until we actually see it, and that is what happened to the disciples on this particular day in Luke chapter 11, uh, with verse, starting with verse 1. Um, The Bible gives us this sense that uh, Jesus, on this particular day, went off to a private, secluded place. It doesn't tell us where, but as he would often do, he went off to a private, secluded place. Chances are this took place early in the morning, and the disciples went out to find Jesus. And when they found Jesus on this particular day, we get the idea that, that when they found him, he was not done praying. They found him there praying. Now today, when we pray by ourselves, typically, well, if your experience is anything like mine, when I pray by myself, I pray silently, right? Um, Often that's how we pray when we pray by ourselves. But in Bible times, whether they prayed as a congregation or whether they prayed prayed on their own, uh, alone, they would often pray out loud. That was typically how they did it. They're praying out loud. And so as the disciples come to, to find Jesus there, he's, he's, found, he's in this secluded place where he's, he's found a place to pray. We get the idea that he is praying out loud, and he's not done with his prayer, and there the disciples are waiting, standing around Jesus, waiting for him to finish his prayer. Now try to imagine that for a moment. Imagine that you're one of the disciples, and you walk up to where Jesus is, and there he is, praying. And he's, he's not done praying. And you have the chance to watch him pray. You have the chance to look upon his face. Can you imagine what's happening there? You have the chance to hear, 
to hear the pathos in his voice, and to hear the content of his prayers. And that's what the disciples are doing. They find him there, and they are listening. They're seeing heaven. I just imagine them seeing heaven reflected on the face of Jesus. And you see this, in, he, they're listening to this intimate conversation of Jesus speaking to his Father. I mean, what would that be like? This is a relationship that has existed forever. What, what is that like for Jesus to pray? They hear this, and although the Bible doesn't tell us, you know, we wish the Bible would tell us, um, the Bible doesn't tell us what Jesus prayed. It doesn't even tell us the location of where he was. It doesn't give us those things, but it does give us the indication that the disciples were profoundly impressed by what they saw and by what they heard, because in Luke chapter 11, verse 1, the Bible tells us that they went to Jesus one day, they saw him praying, and when Jesus had finished, one of the disciples says to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples to pray. Now, in this day, it was very common for religious leaders to teach their disciples a particular style of prayer that was consistent with the religious leaders' way of thinking and the the, the way they believed. And, And so that's why they reference John the Baptist here. Just as John the Baptist had a particular way of teaching his disciples, we just saw you pray in a way that is amazing. Lord, Would you teach us to pray like that? I think it's it's really significant that they said, Lord, teach us to pray. Because they saw in Jesus something that was just unbelievable. They, They saw it, and they wanted to experience that. They wanted to have that same reflection of heaven, that same experience of heaven on earth that they saw Jesus having in his prayer. And they realized that they couldn't figure it out on their own, that watching Jesus wasn't enough. It wasn't like, oh, we see you do it. Hey, we got this. We're gonna go and do that too. It wasn't enough for them to just see Jesus do it. They could look at it and see it from a distance and kind of appreciate it, but for them to reproduce that experience in their life was something that was completely beyond them. And so they made this request, Lord, teach us to pray. They realized that they needed to learn in order to do something like that. They couldn't just bring this out of their, of their own thinking. Perhaps at some point in your life, hopefully multiple times, you have tasted a pastry that is just heavenly perfect pastry, right? When you put it in your mouth, and it's light, it's not too sweet, and, and it's just mouth, I mean, it just melts in your mouth kind of pastry, right? And, and it's so good. I realize it's 12 o'clock, and, and soon it's, it's going to be lunchtime, but just hang in there. It's so good that it's, that it's satisfying. You know, just, just that a few bites, and you're like, oh, yeah, that's it. That's it. That's enough. It's so good, right? Now, it's not hard to enjoy a pastry like that, right? But it's a completely different story to make a pastry like that. Right? There's a reason that people go to France and study at these, that these institutions where there's master chefs that teach them how to do this. For us to be able to make a pastry, like, like we're not born just making pastries like that. If you don't have any training, if you haven't watched anything on YouTube or whatever, it might, chances are you're going to do much more than that. But um, 
it takes some education. You're going to have to learn some things. And if you had a master chef to come alongside you and show you how to do it, that would be so much more helpful, right? There, there's, a, there's a need to learn in order to make a pastry that is just perfect, that is just right, that is heavenly. Well, in a similar way, Jesus recognizes that if we are going to experience heaven on earth in our prayers, that we need to learn something from him. So when the disciples say, teach us to pray, Jesus is not like, oh, you can figure this out. He's like, no, no, good thing you're asking. I'm glad that you asked because you need someone that knows to come alongside and teach you. And even though we are not able to go back in time and stand with, with the disciples there as they watch Jesus pray, the Bible records Jesus' teaching on how to pray. This is how to experience heaven on earth. Look at what it says in Luke 11, verses 2 through 4. He said to them, When you pray, say this. He's about to tell us the script. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Significantly, Jesus tells us to address God in a way that we can all relate to. He tells us to call God Father. Now, this word, this expression that's recorded here in chapter 11, verse 2, Father, this expression is translated from a very common expression. It was, it was an expression that was used all the time in Jesus' day, and it was used in families. It was used by children to address their father, and it could literally be translated as dad. He says to address God as dad, God as father. Now, there are things about God that we just can't understand. I cannot understand what it is to never have a beginning and to never have an end. God is eternal. Like, how do we wrap our minds around that? Because we have beginnings and endings. But God doesn't have, how do we understand that? We can't, how do we relate to that? How do we relate to a being who speaks and things exist out of nothing? Like, how do you, care? oh yeah, I know about the time. Like, we don't have any shared experience with God on these things. How do we relate to God? And so Jesus, it's okay to call God God, but, but notice in Jesus' teaching on prayer, how to experience heaven on earth, he doesn't say to call him God. He says to call him Father, because that's something that all of us can relate to. We all have a dad. We all have a father, and although some people have closer relationships with their fathers than others, some people have better fathers than others, we all have a father, and we can all understand the relationship between a father and a child. There is an inseparable bond between you and your dad. You resemble your dad, perhaps physically, perhaps in some mannerisms and some way of speaking, characteristics. There is an inseparable bond because your dad has passed on his DNA to you, and there will never be a time in which you are not connected to your dad. And so Jesus, tapping into this imagery, 
imagery that we can relate to. See, God wants us to talk to him. Otherwise, he would, if he didn't, he wouldn't tell us how to pray, and he wouldn't give us these ways for us to understand him that we can all relate to. This is something for everyone. Prayer is not just something for the pastor or something for the elders or religious leaders. Prayer is for everyone, and we know that because Jesus says, call God Father. Who can't relate to that? He's your Father. When we call God our Father, we are recognizing an inseparable connection, an enduring, eternal connection with God. We have a place with God. We are connected to God. We can access the being who is God, who is in heaven, and go to where he is because he is our Father. Prayer does not make some kind of connection with God. It's not like we're disconnected to God and so, okay, I need to connect with God, so how do I do that? Well, I pray to him. Prayer does not make a connection with God. Prayer recognizes a connection that is already there, whether we want to recognize it or not. He is our Father. And because of this connection, because we can call God our Father, we have a special access to him. Now, there's a very familiar story. Perhaps you've heard of it. Well-known story, but I think it illustrates this so well. It's about a Union soldier in the Civil War, and this Union soldier found out that his father and his brother had been killed in the Battle of Gettysburg. He realized that his, his mother and his, his sisters really needed his help back on the farm. He needed to get back home in order to help them with planting on the farm. Otherwise, they would be in great distress. They needed his help. And the only way that he could get permission to leave his post in, in, in the army, in the Union Army, was to be able to get permission from the president himself. And so he goes to the White House. And as he tries to get into the White House to talk to the president, the guards say, what are, what are you doing, soldier? Get back out where you belong. He's like, no, listen. He tried to plead his case. They would not listen to him. He tried and tried, and he could not get in. And so discouraged, he walks away, and he sits down, and he doesn't know what to do. And at that point, a little boy comes up to him, and he says, sir, what's wrong? The man explains the situation. He said, I can, the boy says, I can help you. Why don't you come with me? Not knowing what else to do, the discouraged soldier starts walking with this boy. And the boy starts walking towards the White House. And they walk past the guards that a few moments earlier did not even listen to the soldier. They go, he goes up to the door. They open the doors to the, to the White House. They go in. He walks past these great leaders in the country, generals, and no one is saying anything to them. The boy goes to the Oval Office, opens the Oval Office. There is Abraham Lincoln talking, having an intense conversation with his generals about strategies of war and what they're going to do. And, and Abraham Lincoln looks up and he sees this little boy, and his face softens. He says, hey, Todd, what can I do for you? And the boy proceeds to tell Abraham Lincoln about this soldier's dilemma, and a few minutes or moments later, the soldier receives the permission that he needs. Permission is granted for him to return home, and he walks out of the Oval Office. How was it that that boy could just walk in there and take this soldier in there? Well, it's it's pretty simple. It's because Abraham Lincoln was his father. That was Todd Lincoln, Abraham Lincoln's oldest son. And for Todd Lincoln, this soldier's big dilemma was no problem at all because he could call the President of the United States his father. And from the perspective of his father, this dilemma was no dilemma. 
That's easy. Come on. You want to know who my father is? No problem. Jesus instructs us to call God Father. And although you might have big problems here on this earth, although we might face dilemmas that are way bigger than what we can handle, it might even be discouraging for us, they are no problem from the perspective of heaven. You probably know this, but let me just tell you right now that whatever it is that you're dealing with, it's no problem for God. God is not surprised by it, he's not overwhelmed by it, and he has a solution for it. Jesus says, call God your father. We can look at our life and see the dilemmas that we face from the perspective of heaven when we call God father. Jesus' teaching on prayer aligns with the common expectations in this day that we read about, the first century in Judaism. The common expectations of a father in first century Judaism was that a father would be a provider and that a father would be a protector. And we see this in the model prayer. In verse 3, Jesus says, this is how you pray. Give us each day our daily bread. Keep it simple. You don't need to worry about tomorrow, but you can turn your attention to God and trust him to provide for your daily needs. You can also provide, you can also trust him to provide that he will forgive you of your sins. And you can speak with confidence that you can forgive other people's sins too, because God is a provider of grace. He's also a provider of protection. Lead us not into temptation. Jesus' expanded version of this model prayer, you find it in Matthew chapter 6, where that gives some of the additional details, where he says, deliver us from evil. This is a prayer for protection. This is a prayer that God would protect us when we are tempted, that we do not enter into that. And from the perspective of heaven, he can take care of our needs. He can forgive us no problem, and he can deliver us from evil. When we pray to God like this, we tr- it leads us to trust in him as a, as a good father. And as I mentioned earlier, of course, we all have different kinds of fathers. And I don't know what your experience is like, has been with your dad. But as we look at this description of God, this is the model father. All of the expectations, the highest expectations that we could have of a father, Jesus tells us that God checks all those boxes. And we're reminded of that when we pray the way Jesus teaches us to pray. God, give me, give me today what I need, my daily bread. God, forgive me, because only forgiveness comes from you. And God, I'm going to sin unless you deliver me from temptation. We can look to him and trust him to provide these things. But there's something really significant that I'd like for you to notice about this prayer before we wrap things up. That when we look at the model prayer of Jesus in Luke chapter 11, verses 2 through 4, we see that there's basically two different parts for this model prayer. The first part, and I'm being really simplistic, pardon me, deep theologians out there, but the first part is about God. And the second part is about us. And that's something that the human heart really needs to be exposed to all of the time. Because the human heart is all about us first. (laughs) And God and everyone else and everything else second. But in the model prayer, Jesus puts God first and our needs second. Yeah, I think that this is really significant. And the reason is this. When we are in a crisis or when we need something, whatever it is, we feel prompted to pray, how does that often go? 
Maybe it's different from you, but, but oftentimes when we pray, we go to God and we say, I need money, I need direction, I need you to figure this out, I need you to tell me what course in life I need to take, I need you to provide this for me, this job, this spouse, this whatever it is, I, I need for you to do this, give me this, I am in need. And as a father, he, we have access to him, and he wants to hear this from us, he cares about these things, but the problem is when we start with our needs, when we come to God and we say, gimme, 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 here is my agenda, what do I need to say to you to get what I want, when we come to him like that, the problem is, is that we limit God and his work that he wants to do in our life. We limit him. Is he not a loving father? Did he not make you? Is he not aware of the needs in your life? If I come to God and I start ordering him around, I'm going to limit him to the narrow confines of what I think I need. God tells us to put him first. This is, this is, well, Jesus tells us to put God's agenda first. He says, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. What does that mean? Basically, it means this. Let God be God alone. There's this tendency in our life to try to be God. And when we say, God, hallowed, Father, hallowed be your name, we're recognizing that there is only one name, in other words, one character, one person who is God alone. And because God is God alone, his agenda is what we are all about. And that's what we see in the next phrase there, your kingdom come. Basically, what we're praying for is the will of God. It was the will of God to bring his kingdom on earth in Jesus' day, and it is the will of God for his, him to bring his kingdom to our earth today. He wants to be the king reigning inside of our hearts. He would like access to our hearts, and we give him that access when we pray, your kingdom come. And we also pray for the fulfillment of God's will on this earth when ultimately his kingdom will reign over everything. There'll be no more sin, no more sorrow, no more death, no more hurting, no more crying, no more divorce, no more cancer, no more evil. That's what we pray for. That's what we see life, the perspective that we see life from when we pray, your kingdom come. When we put God first, when we put his agenda first in our prayer, it is, it is a blessing all the way around. It not only recognizes what is true, that God is God, but it also blesses our lives. Look at what it says in Ephesians 3.20. This is what we miss out on when we order God around, when we try to play God in our prayers. Look what it says about God. Now to him who is able to do, notice that phrase, how much? Immeasurably more, not just a little bit, not just a lot, so much more that it cannot be quantified. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all that we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is currently at work within us. It makes good sense to put God's agenda first in our prayers, to come as was mentioned by Charlene in our praise singing, to come into his gates with thanksgiving, recognizing his goodness, praising him for who he is, recognizing that he is an awesome God, recognizing that his will is so much bigger and so much better than our will. It makes good sense for us to set aside our will in prayer and to pray for God's will. 
He tells us what that is. Jesus tells us what that is in this model prayer. Now, I realize that most of you this morning, this afternoon now, don't, don't need to be convinced that prayer is good. You didn't need to come here this morning and say, oh yeah, you need to go and pray. It's a good thing. But chances are you don't pray as much as you wish you did. Chances are if you could have done things differently last year, you would have prayed more. Chances are you know that you should pray more, but it's a struggle and you recognize that. And one of the big reasons I found that we do not pray more, I do not pray more, is because we neglect to pray with others. Praying with others can be a little complicated, right? It's much more simple for us to go into our closet, and that is an important part of prayer. We are not to neglect silent prayer, private prayer. Go to your closet, as Jesus says, says, and pray. That's super, super important. But one of the reasons that we neglect the experience of prayer, and we miss out on this experience of heaven on earth, is because we only pray by ourselves, or we pray very little with others. And as I mentioned, it, it can be a complicated thing, like, how long is the other person going to pray? Is, is it going to be awkward for me to pray in front of another person? Um, are, are they going to, what are they going to think of my prayers? And so we have all these things that go, right? You know what I'm saying, right? Okay. Um, like, it, it can be a little complicated to pray with other people. But I'd like for you to notice the pronouns in this model prayer. Just look one more time, please, at Luke chapter 11, verses 2 through 4, especially verses 3 and 4. Look at the pronouns that are there. They are not singular pronouns. Jesus does not teach us to pray, give me today my daily bread. He doesn't teach me to pray, forgive me of my sins. He doesn't teach me to pray, lead me not into temptation. No, no, no. He says, he speaks in corporate language. The intent of this prayer is that it is to be prayed as a group. That's why it says, give us as a community of faith, praying together our daily bread. Forgive us. Lead us not into temptation. It's a, it's a community experience that Jesus is talking about here. And so what I'd like to do as we finish here is I'd like to just encourage you to tap into this experience of praying with other people. Now, I, I realize for some that, that might be a new experience and, and, and there might be all kinds of questions as to how, to, how how do we do that. For others, you may have experienced this before. Whatever your situation, I want to invite you to join us. We've mentioned it several times, but to join us as we spend 10 days, 10 consecutive days with a special emphasis on prayer, setting aside an hour for prayer in the evening from 6 to 7 p.m. I'd like to invite you. You can, you can join Arlena, who is here. Raise your hand, Arlena. She's going to be leading out in an online Zoom segment. You can get the information through the, the church newsletter, how to tap into that. If you'd like to join her, you can do that. I'm going to be leading out in person in Classroom B. And we're going to be leading out in something called conversational prayer, where we follow this model of putting God first, entering into his gates with thanksgiving. Then we transition to a time of confession, and then a time of making requests, asking for God's will to be done in our life. And it's a conversational prayer, which means you pray short prayers, and you pray as often as you want. Or you come and, and pray silently. 
But we, as a, as, as a community of faith, have this opportunity to come together and pray and have a conversation with God. As I mentioned, I'm going to be leading out in that, so if you're like, hey, how's this going to go? Come check it out. It, it's it's going to be great. Um, but I'd like to invite you to do that. And in this way, we get a chance to pray together. We get a chance to connect on a spiritual level and lift one another up as we hear someone ask for God's will to be done in the lives of their children. We can agree in prayer with that. And God says, he teaches us that there is power in agreeing in prayer. Okay. So if you want to experience more of what Jesus has in mind for you, and ex- experiencing more of what it is to, to tap into heaven's perspective and experience heaven on earth, I invite you to come on out to the 10 days of prayer starting this Wednesday. That's the 11th, this Wednesday, uh, 6 p.m. Well, as I mentioned at the beginning, life on earth, it can be difficult. We face big problems, challenges. But if we're willing, if we are willing to follow Jesus' teaching and pray. Pray with God's agenda first. Pray to our Father in heaven. Pray from the perspective of heaven. It's at that place that we experience heaven on earth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we imagine you looking down on us and smiling because we are your children. We thank you so much that we can call you our Father and recognize that you have connected us to yourself with bonds that cannot be broken. Lord, we pray that your will would be done on this earth. We pray for a heart that agrees with that will. I pray for a spirit of prayer to overtake us. I pray, God, that at the end of 2023, we can look back and say, wow, we prayed more than we thought we would have. That we connected with you in deeper ways. God, teach us to pray. In Jesus' name, amen.